Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and together? you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, listeners. This is Annie for Showreel. We look at we look at the Australian film industry and things that are made here and uh, for international as well as local audiences. And uh, today we're going to be uh, talking to someone who has uh, been the, uh, has made this interest, very interesting documentary called uh, Susie Q about Susie Quattro. If oh, We'll introduce you, Liam Fermaja. You're the director of this uh, very interesting film. And uh, the interesting thing about it is, of course, that Susie Quattro it was an international star and still is. But uh, you're an Australian filmmaker and uh, it's been produced by Australians. So that uh, shows you the level of fame that Susie Quattro had in Australia, in fact. Absolutely. She's, I think she's considered uh, somewhat of an honorary Australian, mm. um, given she's toured here, I think, 37 times, which is a record of any international touring artist. Oh, that's right. Because I, was, it, it, I mean, uh, I remember, I'm old, so I I remember uh, Susie Quattro quite uh, clearly. And uh, I went and saw uh, the uh, first screening that you had down at the Astor in Melbourne anyway. Oh, yeah. And I and I went on purpose because uh, I was blown away by the th- thought that she actually came to. I mean, she's a <laughs> mega star. Yeah, well, she we, we were fortuitous really because uh, she was on tour at the time in Australia, so we were able to sync up a number of screenings with her to join us and do the Q and A, which you know the audience and hardcore fans absolutely loved. So, yeah, real pleasure. Yeah, well, the thing about it is, is that uh, you you said there that you weren't a fan of Susie Quattro, uh, but you and she said, well, that made you the perfect candidate. And I was really surprised that nobody had ever made a film about her before because uh, she was groundbreaking. Absolutely, and you know when I said that to her, this was my introduction to her. That uh, you know straight off the bat, I'm not a fan, and I didn't mean that in this. Disparaging way, no. I mean, I wasn't either. Yeah, I I just grew up in a different generation. I was a product of the 80s, you know. So, But she was still on my radar, and to me it was a fascinating story, you know, so it had to be made. So how come come nobody had made one before? Because someone told me that someone had started, but it hadn't been successful. So you must have... That's right. Yeah, either she's grown older and she wants it to be done, or you had, and you were the magic ingredient. Tell me about it. Probably a bit of both. Um, I think there wasn't a, a, an attempt to make one, you know, about, I think, 15 years ago, but uh, 
it stalled. And, you know, knowing what I know about, you know, uh, music licensing and such, I can understand why it's stalled because they're very expensive things to make. Um, hence why we sort of needed the help of uh, Film Victoria and Screen Australia to jump on board. And there was some convincing that, you know, this is an Australian story, quintessentially, even though she wasn't born here. And they recognised that, you know, uh, that sentiment and, and, and they backed it, so which was really great. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's an international story, but I, I, I was watching it and I thought it was really fascinating, some of the elements that you incorporated. Not only do you, have you got great... Uh, early footage, but uh, she really did mainline into an element in the Australian cultural psyche, which was, you know, people being able to uh, do gutsy performances in pubs, effectively. And she emulates yeah, yeah, it. She, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, there was just something about her, something about her authenticity, which resonated especially with Australians. Yeah, which uh, is really interesting. You know, yeah, well, she's sort of seen as different things to different countries. You know, in America, she's known as a TV star with Happy Days and things like that. With In England, she's known as a uh, uh, television show host and, you know, being in cameos and all these wonderful shows. And in Germany, she's a nostalgia act. But in Australia, she's still respected and revered as that authentic rock and roller. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I, th- I think that's really interesting. So t- tell us about how you crafted the piece, because uh, uh, it is a, a beautifully put-together, uh, well-rounded piece. And I noticed that uh, your background, you're, you, you've had a lot of experience. You've been a cinematographer and editor. You've done some producing. You know camera. You've been a, a gaffer, basically, uh, and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which means you really know film and uh, how to make a good film. So tell me about how you actually – how big was the crew? What did you do? The crew was me. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like 80% of the film was actually me and, uh, you know, having to juggle all those balls because, you know, as you know, getting a documentary up and started in Australia is very difficult. You know, there isn't a huge amount of private investment around and and unfortunately it's usually a case of going cap in hand to, to the funding bodies. And so with those budget constraints in mind, and certainly in the early days, I just simply did the sound, did the light, did the camera, did the interviewing, did the editing. So... Um, but, you know, that was a real, you know, a real passion for me. It was a real labor of love because I, I recognized it was a story that needed to be told. And, you know, you're dealing with a subject that, you know, is very much alive and still active because uh, most music docos deal with people who have passed away, you know, in usually tragic circumstances. So, you know, the real challenge to me in terms of putting the film together was how do we tell this really interesting, exciting story knowing full well we don't have that traditional arc of tragedy so well you they she talked about her um what was it the room what was the room about oh the ego room the yeah. ego room that's it yeah tell me about that what sort well, of things were the, actually in there <laughs> everything i mean her whole life her whole archive of everything she's done is uh, locked away in this top attic of her rather large house in england and uh, she calls it the ego room that's where she keeps her ego and there's a little sign above the door that says mind your head <laughs> um, it was very funny, but we spent a, a number of days up there just lost in these archives, you know, sort of trawling through and, look, you know, looking at her life and, and seeing what was available for us to utilise in, in the film. Uh, is that where the uh, uh, little excerpts of her father and her mum, all those early yeah. years, is that where they were from? Yeah. Absolutely, you know. Um, 
I mean, you know, the shame about a lot of 60s bands, especially cult ones, like the Pleasure Seekers, which was Susie's first band, is there isn't a heap of footage. And so, you know, you sort of have to rely on, um, you know, photographs and, and uh, things like that. But with Susie, she was quite the archivist. So thankfully, if anything did exist, she had it. Yeah, that's very interesting because it was really cute. That was re- really, uh, it was really felt like we were going back in time. And that's what I, you know, that we were handshaking. I, I, I remember yeah. speaking to a Aboriginal man about uh, uh, cave paintings and he was in awe of the idea of handshaking to the past that many years yeah. ago. And that's what that felt like. And so it gives you an idea of uh, how uh, well put together this film is. It, it's uh uh, you've got this wonderful rounded story being told and quite clearly uh, Susie Quattro has her own clear understanding of her narrative. She's got narrative skill. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's, she's done radio for a number of years with the BBC, so she's, you know, she's an all-round entertainer. So to me it was the perfect, um, you know, uh, solution to actually have her narrate her own story in, in essence. Yeah, well, she's written books too, which is fascinating. So she's got researcher skills and all that sort of stuff. So, what yeah. I was going, what I was really getting at was, uh, did you what uh, did you have a script? What what uh, did you have an editing script or did you have a script when you began? You know, beginnings, middles, and ends. Was that what you were thinking? Uh, no, actually, I, I really because as I mentioned, they didn't really have that kind of traditional music doco arc. Uh, I really had to see how it evolved. And there was, I hate to use the term, but there was this organic evolution of, of the project. Uh, with every interview we did was a new surprise. So I didn't really want to sort of force my own ideas about, you know, oh, this is how we're going to structure it, until I absolutely knew everything there was to know about her life and what people were, you know, the testimonies that her peers gave her. And, you know, past that point... Uh, I knew exactly what the story was and, you know, and how to put it together and um, and really give it that... Um, I didn't want to mythologise her. I really wanted to personalise her oh, um, and really okay. allow the audience to see the person rather than the myth, which, you know, unfortunately a lot of music docos do. Well, that, that's actually uh, a really interesting uh, idea. I mean, you, that was your core story uh, notion, which is great, uh, but because it works, you've you've managed to do that, and that lead, leads me to this next next question: is that because you do that, you are actually juggling all these uh, personalities and emotions? Mm. How did that? How did you deal with that? Because it is a very emotive story, actually. It it is, and uh, from the get go, uh, you know, Susie and myself agreed that. If anything, the the documentary has to be truthful. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. Um, and I really wanted to get at the core of what that truth was. You know, not only for her, but the subjective truth of everyone that was involved in her life. Um, so that was really important for me. But I, I was also aware there were certain family tensions that still exist today. And you know, sometimes it felt like I was walking through a a, a minefield <laughs> and had to be. <laughs> Very careful with the way I sort of approached it. You would have um, been. It would have been. I was wanting to ask you about the editing process. Like, there, there's a certain amount of bitterness involved in this, and um, and you know, being an alive person and with sisters, etc. I mean, and also she came from a Catholic background. I actually 
really appreciated this, but the uh, it was very interesting. Uh, did you speak to them only once, or did you speak to them more times? And how did you edit that together? I think with well with Susie, we were blessed to be able to interview her, you know, seven or eight times across the world during the period. But with her family, with her sisters, we only grabbed the one opportunity, which was uh, actually at Susie's uh, 65th birthday, which oh. she held in Detroit. Um, and they were quite happy to be involved and be interviewed because I think they wanted to have their say as well. Um, and unfortunately, I think perhaps in reflection, they may have regretted <laughs> having their say because uh, it ultimately did, I don't think it did them any favours. Um, but no, they, did, of, they uh, just looked a bit bitter and twisted, I'll have to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, there wasn't really much. I don't, I don't like to force a massage, uh, an agenda. Um, I, I think that it becomes voyeurism rather than, you know, document, you know, making a documentary. So, you know, I wanted them to have their full say and, and then have Susie have the right to reply through the documentary. So if you notice, it kind of ping-pongs off each other, yeah. um, you know, from one view to another view. Because um, I think those make the most compelling documentaries where you allow the audience to make their own mind up rather than sort of leading them by the nose towards the, your own conclusion or whatever. So. But it also, I mean, families are complicated and that's basically, uh, and that's what comes out of this film, life is complicated. Uh, for people who, I, I'd be surprised if the people who are listening to this on this station don't know who Susie Cotro was, um, that they wouldn't, uh, but uh, I went with my daughter and she didn't know anything about Susie Cotro. Now, that's very interesting to me that a person as important actually to creating a different persona for a female performer uh, had uh, been was beginning to be uh, forgotten. So it was a timely That's, thing, but it's yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk to that? Oh no, I, I absolutely agree. I think that uh, you know for. Uh you know, for, for that generation who grew up with Susie Quattro and even, you know, the, into the 80s and 90s, you know, everyone knew who Susie Quattro was. You know, it just didn't matter if you loved her or, you know, were in, ambivalent about her, you still knew who Susie Quattro was. But it seems this younger generation just have no idea. I mean, it's just not on their radar. You mention, you say to them Susie Quattro and they just give you a blank look. It's even and a fantastic me, name. Yeah, and I really wanted to readdress that. I really wanted to introduce her to a whole new, you know, um, legion of fans, hopefully young people. You know, it's great when 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds come to me after a screening and say, wow, I'm so inspired. I didn't know anything about her, but that what an amazing life. And to me, that's kind of the, the best thing of all. That's like mission accomplished to me. Well, it's very important what some of those women were saying, the other female musicians, where they were saying the business about uh, uh, women didn't play instruments. You know, women were decorative. They weren't uh, uh, genuinely believed to be musicians. And she lives and breathes it. Yeah, absolutely. And then through the through the 70s, as somebody says, which was, you know, pretty tumultuous time for women trying to break through in music, at least, you know, at least to be taken seriously, not just, you know, wallpaper or whatever. And uh, she certainly was the first to break that, you know, that ceiling and um, lead the charge for other females to pick up, new, you know, guitars and form their own bands and, and things like that. So, you know, it's most important that we remind people 
and uh, introduce this to you know younger people to say, hey, you know, this is the woman that started it all. It's interesting because people, it's so successful that people think that it's always been like this. It's fascinating to see how uh, the oppression of a whole part of society has been made invisible by the steps, the successful steps to get rid of the chains. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we just we just don't remember. I know. It was, it was normal back then, so it was just the way it was. And you know, we look back in reflection and then think, "Wow, how how could that possibly have gone on?" You know, but I'm sure in 20 years' time, people will look back at us and say, "How did you allow that stuff to go on?" Yeah, so um, primitive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's bizarre. Anyway, um, I'll just remind our listeners that uh, you're on 3CR and it's Showreel and I'm talking to Liam Fermaja, who's the uh, filmmaker who's made uh, this film called Susie Q. And it's about, it's honouring really Susie Quattro. Uh, no, she's not dead. She's very much alive uh, and very much alive in this movie. And it's quite a fascinating investigation into a mu- musical career but also in the uh, rise and rise of female musicianship, in a sense, in a sort of psychological yeah. sense. Um, there's something else I wanted to talk about, which is really good about this film, which is actually how it ties to, it, it exposes to people how a music industry actually works, you know, the mechanics. So you've got the talent. You've got her, she's absolutely raring to go. But that doesn't mean that it actually happens for a person. And you actually sort of have a parallel uh, stream in this film around the characters who whose work it was, business side of things, and uh, the producer and the uh, songwriter and how it all comes together. But in particular... I was so impressed. Oh, uh, the um, publicist, that photograph and the way her persona was created, that was just mm. brilliance. That mm. guy's a magician. Yeah. <laughs> the power of an icon image, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, Mickey Most is uh, another underrated uh, titan in music that a lot of people have sort of forgotten or overlooked. And uh, sadly, he passed away, I, I think, 15 years ago. But... Uh, he was influential on so many careers like Donovan and Herman's Hermits and Jeff Beck and, you know, things like that. So um, quite an extraordinary guy. We'll play, play a little of uh, Susie Quattro.
That's right. That was uh, Susie Quattro, of course. If you want to go and see the uh, documentary, it starts tonight, a theatrical release. It's a very interesting film. There's uh, lots of uh, ways of going back into this film. It gives a really full picture of her. And uh, she's uh, quite an extraordinary person. But uh, uh, really, in those periods when uh, women were not considered to be musically uh, adept, that that they couldn't have, uh, they had nothing to say, there was no way that uh, they could play instruments, they had to be singers. Uh, There were a lot of very formalised elements to uh, this sort of uh, musical scene that uh, was uh, not even down to a sequence in it where she's talked about uh, by uh, the uh, music journalists, male music journalists, saying that she was really just a fantasy piece put together by a contrived act put together by producers. Uh, I mean, you can't uh, fight that kind of uh, thing. It's like uh, when was the... uh, Last time you beat your wife with the assumption that you did, <laughs> but uh, she she's a pocket do- uh, pocket rocket is uh, uh, Susie Quattro and incredibly influential in uh, uh, the musical scene effectively uh, now as well, uh, and it's sort of interesting that uh, she should be overlooked uh, sh- uh, in a sense. Uh, uh, that people should uh, forget how important she was in building the bonfire around uh, female musical uh, uh, protagonists out there now. Um, I'll have to go now uh, because uh, Published or Not is coming up. Don't forget to go and see an Australian film uh, if you can because there's plenty of them out at the moment and uh, they're waiting for you to buy a ticket so that uh, they can continue to to make films so I'll uh, leave you and we'll hear from Kate Rushby farewell
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.